Occasionally, we will deviate from studies we're doing. This morning is one of those times. I want to touch on what is manhood. I think men need a reminder of that. Boys need a reminder of that. Women need a reminder of that. Girls need a reminder of that. If you're single, you probably need a reminder of that. What is a man? What is manhood? If I were to give you a quiz and said, you get one minute to define manhood, how would you respond? What is a man? And to answer that question, we want to go to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. We're not going to try to cover all these chapters in detail, but touch on them as we go back to the beginning of time as we know it and think about what is a man, what is manhood, what does that look like as we consider Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, I'll begin reading with verse 26. God has created for five days on the sixth day. He is continuing his creation. When we get to verse 26, he's going to create man. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that hath the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. We think about this passage it speaks of male and female value. He created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. They're both created in the image of God. Both male, both female. Created in God's image. Equally endowed and equally value. One's not more important than the other. One is not better than the other. They're both unique and special. We find also it speaks of male and female calling. They are to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Obviously, involves both Adam and Eve. They're to subdue the earth, and they're to rule over the earth. Again, both male and female are involved. It also hints at a very important social structure, <clears throat> which we'll discuss as we go along. In chapter 2, we find that there's further detail concerning the creation that took place. 
Verse 1 of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all his work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God had made the earth and heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had sent rain, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then skipping down to verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. I want you to understand in light of the flow of the text that that was given to the man, the male. Because the next verse says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone and will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. The Lord, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Notice Adam, the male again, names here. Verse 24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I want you to notice a couple things in this chapter. You go to verse 7. The Lord God formed the man, referring to the male, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. And as you read on in the context, Adam was created first. Notice in verse 15 that Adam is given an occupation and a responsibility before Eve comes along. The Lord God took the man in verse 15, put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Notice also in verses 16 and 17 that Adam is instructed by God with the responsibility of leading with his word. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The man, male, being given that responsibility of leading with the word of God. Notice also in the text that Adam names the animals. Naming would be a sign of his leadership over creation. And it's interesting that God lets him name the animals. He didn't say, hold it, Adam, I don't like that one. Whatever Adam named them, the text says, that's what its name was. Adam had freedom in naming the animals. The man is given a helper suitable for him. A helper suitable for him and a title that gives some idea of the relationship between male and female. You know, the core identity of male and female. In verse 23, we find that Adam names his helper. She shall be called woman. I don't like to read into the text, but I think it would have been interesting after Adam woke from his sleep and he saw Eve. I don't think he said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. I think there was some excitement. Wow! It's not in the text. I understand. But he named the animals. But maybe it is in the text. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Wow! You know, he got his helper. Name the animals, male, female, male, female, male, female, male, female, male, female. Just a male for me. Notice in verse 24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man is told to leave and initiate a new household. In verse 25, notice that there is total openness between the man and woman. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And the nakedness, as you read the context, is not merely physical nakedness. I think it's talking a total nakedness. Where Adam knew Eve, her emotional well-being, her mental, where she was at. Eve knew Adam's thinking, you know, his emotions and always make up. There was total openness. For you ladies, you're forever trying to get us men to open up. How was your day? Good. What did you do? Work. What did you work? Work. How are you feeling? Good. Fine. You know, we're hard, it's hard for us to open up. Apparently, Adam and Eve did not have that struggle. And Adam also could sit and listen to Eve, just talk and talk and talk. And apparently, he didn't mind it. And I'm not criticizing you, ladies, when I say that. No, there was openness. Now, look at chapter 3. God's creation is good when we get to the end of chapter 2. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any, from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, We meet fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Notice that the tempter seeks to corrupt and reverse God's original social and spiritual order. He comes to Eve. God spoke to the man. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of it. And so on. The serpent we know is the devil. And he is always trying to distort what God designed. And our first encounter with him in Scripture is that he comes to Eve, to the woman. Adam shows no initiative. Apparently, according to <clears throat> verse 6, Adam is there all the time. He doesn't take any initiative. He does not lead. He doesn't say, whoa, serpent, you don't talk to her. You talk to me. God spoke to me. You speak to me. If you don't want to speak to me, get out of here. Adam's just quiet. The serpent is engaging Eve. The woman did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman responds, and Adam, the man, doesn't do anything. Eve takes a lead. She doesn't say, whoa, serpent, don't talk to me. Talk to Adam. Equality is not the issue in the text. It's interesting that after the eat of the fruit that God holds Adam, not the woman, accountable for this lack of trust. Now, the serpent came to the woman, tempted her. They both ate. Their eyes are open. 
They made <clears throat> some clothing from fig leaves. The man and his wife in verse 8 heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid. But the Lord God called to the man. See, the serpent came to the woman. The Lord God came to the man. Where are you? He's holding the man responsible. What does a man say? I heard him in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Please notice that Adam's sin has an unacceptable passivity attached to it. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Yes, I ate from it. I was wrong. I know it. You gave me a sure, clear, direct command. Now, the woman you put here with me. Men tend to be passive in terms of leadership. Apparently, Adam, before Eve took of the fruit, had already not been responsive to God because he is passive. God asked a direct question. Have you, or who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that is in the garden or uh, that I commanded you not to eat from? You know, the woman. Adam, and I'm not sure this is a good way to word it, but Adam was not a man. He claimed he was a victim. Hey, God. This woman, you put her here with me. You know, I'm a victim of her wrongdoing. That's a paraphrase, please understand. It doesn't say it that way in Scripture. He chose passivity. To play victim is to tear up manhood. Adam sinned long before Eve ate the fruit. True men don't blame. And as we discuss the life of Christ tonight, we'll find that he responded much, much differently. We men like to play the role of blame. We're a victim. I could give you example after example after example from my own life. So Ruth Ann says something to me, and I don't respond too nice. Well, she didn't say it in the way she did. I wouldn't respond to the way I did. 
I'm blaming. So honey says, that wasn't very nice, and then I come back with another one. Why don't I just buck it up and be a man and say, honey, I responded incorrectly when you responded to me. I'm fully responsible. I can't blame you. I can't blame anyone. I chose not to respond kindly. But we guys like to be passive and play the role of the victim. So years ago, as I was coming from Scottsboro, Alabama, back to, back to Chattanooga, Tennessee, one Wednesday night, without a fender in my car, because my wife tore it off in an accident. And the policeman stops me. And uh, he said something about my fender. This was after dark, you know, but he still stopped me. Were the first words out of my mouth. I just want you to know, officer, that I'm fully responsible for not having a fender in my car. It's my fault. Write the ticket. I'll pay it, and life will go on. I didn't. <laughs> now, I understand that in Alabama law, you don't have to have a fender. I said that. And it went on and on, you know, and... I still got the ticket for no fender and so on. I didn't blame my wife to the officer. I'll, I will say that. But what did I do? I didn't take responsibility. So he comes to the window and he, I crank down the window. He says, you don't have a fender in your car. Yes, sir. Was I supposed to have a fender in my car? <laughs> yes. I take full responsibility. You see what I was doing? Being a typical man. Notice. Adam's curse is based on the reversal of God's created order. He was commanded to care for the garden. He was not to eat from the tree, and what happens? The ground is cursed, and because of that, there's painful toil. You weed of it all the days of your life. I don't know how many times I pulled weeds, and I thought, boy, Adam would have behaved I probably would have done the same thing, I'm sure. Eve's curse is also based upon usurping God's created order. Notice, Adam's sin unleashes the destructive curse of male domination. I will greatly, in verse 16 of chapter 3, increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. How many times in our world today do we hear on the news or read in the paper about how a man abused a woman? If I were to say, would you please raise your hand if you have never heard or been affected by a man abusing a woman, raise your hand. I would bet most of our hands would stay down. Ties in with the curse. Notice Adam dies. The judgment of death also extend to all who come after him, according to Romans 5 and verse 19. Adam, not Eve, is charged with the fall of the human race. 
What's God doing? God is holding Adam accountable because Adam's the one that he spoke to. Adam renames his wife as a sign of leadership, even after the fall in verse 20. Genesis 3 and verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. It's interesting that Adam and Eve are not called Adam and Eve. <clears throat> In Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that comes later. Men, due to being in the first Adam by birth, we struggle with passivity. And for those of you who are ladies sitting here, don't say amen too loud because we might lose our passivity and say, what did you say? Think about passivity in the part of men teaching their family. How many guys down through the ages have just waited for someone else to teach their family, their wife, their children? How about making decisions? Ask your mother. Or, honey, what do you think? How about corporate worship? Well, if it's convenient, we might worship corporately. How about money use? Well, what do I want? What do we want? How about discipline of children? If I could get $100 for each time I've seen this, I probably wouldn't have to work the rest of my life. Where a husband and wife are together, we're in the same area, maybe with a group of people, maybe at home or whatever, and the kids are not behaving. And the wife looks over at her husband and you, you can read it. No words are take care of your kid. And, you know, the child doesn't quite behave. And after a while, you get another look. You know, it's, it changes and take care of your kid. And finally, you get that look like, ah, oh, he'll never do it. Now you behave. And she'll charge in. I'm not criticizing men or women, but isn't that life many times? It goes back to the curse. We men struggle with passivity. How about priorities? Well, whatever happens, just so I get what I want. Guys, let's be honest. How many times do we get for us and not for our wife or our children? No, we make sure we're taken care of especially when it comes to food. How about time use? Well, we'll just let life happen. If, if we get it done today, tomorrow, or tomorrow, that's okay. If we don't get it done tomorrow, that's okay too. You know, we just kind of let life happen. And five years later, someone says, well, did you make any progress on that? Oh, no, I forgot about that. And how about what forms your children, media input into the family? Do you know what comes in? Do you know the impact that it is having? I want to make a very clear statement here. I'm not being critical of men. I think I'm being honest. We men struggle with being passive, and you ladies know it. 
we live under the curse. My encouragement to you guys is being in Christ means we can take the lead in our marriage with our children in the midst of temptation. In Christ, He is our life. We can take leadership. We can seek to be what God wants us to be in teaching our family formally and informally. We can take the lead. It's not that we can't if we're in Christ. In Christ, He's given us all the fullness of deity in bodily form. We can take the lead in making decisions. Your mother and I will talk about this, and then I will make a decision. Corporate worship, set the pace. This is our pattern. Plan around it. My dad didn't always lead well. That's one area he led well. He just said, this is when we go to worship. Like it or not, we're going. Plan your life around it. Money use. We're going to honor God with our money, whatever that looks like as you use 100% of it for God's glory. When to say yes and when to say no. Discipline the children. Step up. Don't wait for your wife to fuss. Step up. Take the leadership. Priorities. This is what is wise. We want to do it. Time use. What will please God? What forms your children? You know, the media input. Time with TV, movies, and computer, and so on. Taking the lead. I'm a man. And for the rest of you men and boys sitting out there, I don't want to hear, I don't need to hear anymore that I'm a jerk, I'm a failure, and I'm a bum, and so on. And many times, I don't respond the way I should. I need encouragement, and I think all of us guys do. As we seek to be the men that God called us to be. But if that's going to happen, we've got to admit reality. We struggle with being passive. It's part of the fall. Let's pray for one another. For you wives and you girls and you other ladies, when you see a guy doing something on track and taking leadership, go up to him and say, thank you. I'm praying for you. Charge in there. Be responsible. You're doing good. I don't mind Ruth Ann telling me when I'm wrong. I've given her permission years ago that if I'm not responding correctly, tell me. Because sometimes I can't figure it out. And she's told me many a times over the years, Dan, you're wrong. I've given her permission, so I accept it. I don't argue with her most of the time. I'm wrong. I'll accept responsibility. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? We hear complaints about schools. We hear complaints about our nation. We may hear complaints about a lot of things. We can't fix our nation. We may vote and so on, which is fine. We can't fix our state. 
and we may have a role in voting and so on, but we can take care of the corner where we live. I can be a leader to Ruth Ann. I can be a leader to my married kids and grandkids in certain ways. I can talk about how everyone else is failing, but that's irrelevant. What am I doing in my sphere of influence? I'm giving a challenge to you guys, and I'm not going to ask for a public response. Men, will you commit yourselves to pray with your wife and children at least three times a week? Out loud. I say this gently and kindly and lovingly. No hardness in my heart whatsoever, but a brokenness. How will my children and my wife ever learn to pray if they don't learn from their father and husband? Why do you think the enemy attacks us so hardly? Well, you can't pray. You can't pray in front of your wife. You don't want to take time to pray with your kids. Guys, if you're honest at all, you've heard that over and over again in your mind. And what do we do? Well, I guess I won't. I'm challenging you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ raised from the dead. Will you act in that area? It's amazing how much changes between Ruth Ann and I and situations that we face when I just say, honey, let's pray about this. Let's not talk about it. Challenge you, for starters, read your Bible <clears throat> together with your wife and children at least three times a week. If you want something to use, there's home discipleship. There's some scriptures listed. Read scripture together. Ah, I don't have time. I'm not debating whether you have time or not. How about just answering some home discipleship questions? Such as, what are you thankful for today? Did you renew your mind today? Are there any sins you need to confess? Were your words building and helpful today? Take the initiative, asking your wife, asking your children. And challenge you to make corporate worship a priority. And to memorize scripture. We list a passage in Hope Discipleship. You would memorize five or six verses a month, you know, if you worked at that. I'm not saying this is what must be done. I'm merely giving you a tool that you might think about. If Christ lives in us, wherever we are, whatever our age, can we not change? And if you can have some pattern, I encourage you to continue to follow that.
for you ladies, you wives, pray, encourage. And I'm asking this as a question and I'm not looking for a response. Why do we men so quick back away from doing something spiritual with our wives or our children? And I'm not trying to separate spiritual from unspiritual. Do we see the enemy at work trying to discourage? I can ask you to stand if you commit yourself to this. That's not the issue. I'm just challenging you to act on it. To be more in Christ than in Adam. I would venture to say that if some of us here acted on this, there'll probably be a kid in Sunday school someday say, I just want you to know that my daddy prayed with my mommy and us for the first time ever. A grandchild saying, I saw Pap and Grandma praying together. I never saw them do it before. And this teenager is weeping because they saw that happen. A wife with tears of joy calling a friend and saying, I just want you to know, my husband prayed with me. Isn't that great? I didn't even ask him. He took the leadership. I read audiences. I can read your faces. Some of you are dying for that to happen. Guys, I don't, I'm not encouraging this with a hard heart. I'm not getting on your case. I'm saying let's together move towards being men who are leading for God's honor, for God's glory. So that a hundred years from now, a child can say, I'm so grateful that my great-grandpap prayed with my grandfather and read scripture to him. And he in turn would discuss scripture and pray and so on with his family. And I'm reaping the benefit of generations of walking with God. You said, that's not my heritage. I'm not talking about what your heritage is. I'm talking about from here on. Can't change the past. I can't change the way I treated Ruth Ann the first couple years of our marriage but it can be a different man from here on. I trust that if the Lord gives me another year or two of life, that Ruth Ann could say at the funeral service, Dan wasn't the same last week as he was two years ago. He loved God more. He led me better. Let's pray together.
Father, we as men want to love you. We want to be sensitive to you. And we would confess that we struggle with passivity. We're in Adam, but we don't want to use that as an excuse because if we come to faith in Christ, we're also in Christ, and we want to live in light of the fact that we are in Christ. I pray for each man, each boy represented here, that you might encourage them in Christ. May they not believe what may be said about men in general, but they'll come back to Christ and who they are in Christ and seek to lead lovingly and gently and share a struggle with another man or with their family and ask them to pray, but seek to lead. For your glory again, Father, encourage us as guys. Now pray for the younger guys that they might seek to develop a responsibility, a leadership, but a deep dependency upon Christ. Now pray for the wives and the girls and the ladies who may be widowed or single, that you would encourage them, as we'll seek to touch on some tonight, how to encourage us guys with gentleness, how to follow in terms of leading. Father, may we be a body that is growing in our roles that you have created us to fulfill. Again, for your glory. In the future, as we would discuss the role of women, give them wisdom in fulfilling their role too. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.